0: What a wonderful service and beautiful music. And uh, just so glad and thankful to be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation. And um, so uh, just uh, taken back by reading there on the um, little booklet how much this church gives to missions. It's really inspiring. And uh, I thank God for this ministry and the faithfulness of of your pastor. And so my, I really respect you, Pastor, and I say that with all my heart. And I and I just thank God that this church is here in Española making a great difference. Not just here, but all over the world. You hear nothing but good things about this church. And I say that. I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to travel some, you know, in, within our Spanish-speaking Baptist churches movement and and uh, people that know this church have nothing but great things to say about this church and, and your pastor. And so I've, I'm just privileged and honored. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. Please go to your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll read verse, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. And let's do something. I don't know how you'll do it here, but can we read? I'll read verse 1, read verse 2. And we'll join together in verse 6. Hebrews chapter 3, alternately reading. I'll I'll start with verse 1, and and we'll go like that until we get together to verse 6. The word of God says, Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he he who hath built the house had more honor than the house. And Moses, verily, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after all together, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would help me to preach your word and help us all to just um, be attentive, and get from you what you would have us to learn this morning, and and how you would have a, that we would hear as you speak to our hearts, Lord. May you get the honor and glory from all decisions at the end. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The epistle, this letter, was written to Christians, to brethren. It says so in verse verse one. Wherefore, holy Brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. There were Hebrew, they were Hebrew brethren, Christians, believers. But there were some among them, just like at the churches in Galatia, that were spreading legalistic ideas among the believers with the purpose of casting doubt in their salvation so they would depart from their faith in Christ and return to Judaism, law, and tradition. In recent times, a lot of that has been going on with some Spanish-speaking independent Baptists who all of a sudden are teaching and proclaiming that we need to observe Jewish law in order to be true believers. And it shouldn't surprise us because the word of God says that there will always be false brethren, that there would always be tares amongst the weak, deceitful workers, wolves among sheep. And I believe that in these last times, even more than ever, these false teachers have multiplied. So Hebrews was written to help convince a lot of the hebrew of those hebrew believers who were listening to those false teachers among them that the object of their faith Jesus was and is much better than their old religious system under the law and throughout the epistle Paul I believe was the writer the human writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, compares Jesus to the most sacred things in Jewish religion. For example, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he compares Jesus to the prophets. And he declares that Jesus is better than the prophets. In chapter 1, verse 4, all the way through chapter 2, verse 18, he compares Jesus to the angels. And he declares that Jesus is better than the angels. In chapter 3, he compares Jesus to Moses. And Moses was, Moses was the hero. He was the prophet to the Jewish people. But he declares that Jesus is better than Moses. In chapter 4, he compares Jesus to the Sabbath, to the day of rest. And he declares that Jesus is better because he is our eternal rest. In chapter 4, verse 14, all the way to chapter 6, he compares Jesus to the priesthood of Aaron. And he declares that Jesus is better because he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In chapter 7, 8, and 9, he compares the new covenant in Jesus Christ with the old covenant under Moses and the law. And he declares that the new covenant in Jesus Christ is better. In chapter 10, he compares the sacrifice of Christ with the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament under the law. And he declares that the sacrifice Of Christ, our Lord, is better, and it's the only one we need. And he gets to chapter eleven, and he starts naming the heroes of the faith. But he concludes that they had their faith faith placed in the coming Messiah, who is Christ, and he declares those heroes of the faith that their faith was better because they had their faith placed on the Savior, on Jesus Christ. That great out of witnesses had their eyes on Jesus. Their faith, our faith, is better than the old faith under the law. And, you know, us too nowadays, we pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries, spent a lot of our time trying to convince our church members that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than their old religious beliefs. That Jesus is better than the backward value system and absurd ideologies of this world. That Jesus is better than higher education. I have nothing against higher education, but I believe Jesus is better than higher education. That Jesus is better than a career. And I'm glad that people have careers. That's great. But Jesus is better. Being saved is much better than having a career and being lost. Amen? Amen. That Jesus is better than any position you can hold and fame and riches or pleasures that this world can give you. In our scripture, in our passage... In verse 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. And he mentions his house in reference, I believe, to the children of Israel. That great congregation in the wilderness that Moses pastored for 40 years. And he says Moses was faithful in that house, in that family, in that household. In verse 3 and 4 it reads, For this man, now speaking about our Savior, this man was counted worthy of of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is built by by some men. But he that built all things is God. Jesus, what he's saying is that Jesus is more deserving of honor than Moses. Because Jesus is the creator that built the house. And the house being Israel. In verse 5, he acknowledges Moses as having been a faithful servant. He says, and Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant. What a, what a description, a servant. What a title, I mean, a servant. And what a description, faithful. Oh, that you and I could one day hear those words from our Savior, thou good and faithful servant. There's no greater position to hold than, or title to hold than that of a servant. Our Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. The key verse is verse 6, where it reads, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. We know that the reference, what Paul here is referencing is the church the house of Christ we know this because in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 the same apostle declares that the house of God is the church of the living God pillar and ground of the truth the church is the house of Christ which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, reads 1 Peter 2.10. Those of us who, when we were without Christ, were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.12 and 13. Who are now no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 The mention of a house of Christ is presented here for the first time to the Hebrew believers as something different from the house of God because he's comparing the two. There's a distinction made between both things, between both houses. The people of Israel and the church. Even though both in Christ were made one people, says Ephesians 2.14, there is no doubt that we are different. Israel is Israel and the church is the church. Israel is the unfaithful wife while the church is the bride of Christ. Israel was under the old covenant while the church is under the new covenant. Israel was governed by the law while the church is governed by grace as we sang a moment ago. There is no doubt that the two are different. Israel is Israel and the church Is the church a distinction needs to be made because God makes a distinction and because the church is different? God has always desired that his people, whether it was Israel in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament, be different than all other peoples. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto him a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Peculiar comes was translated from the Greek word periosios, which means one's own, selected, beyond usual or unusual, special distinctive and if you look up the word distinctive in the dictionary it defines it this way different from all others that stands out and is easily identifiable clearly marked with a sign that's what distinctive means and that's how God would have us to be as the church of Christ as the house of Christ, as believers. God has always desired that his people live a distinctive life. We, the church, are the house of Christ. The Christian life ought to be a distinctive life, one that stands out, different from all others, just like the church is different from all other religions. We are not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a personal relationship with God through Christ our Lord. When I got saved, I said during Sunday school that I was raised in a Baptist church, and I was. But then when I was 12 years old, we stopped going to church, and I wasn't saved. So I lived as a sinner in the world doing what all other sinners do. From the time I was 12 till I was almost 24. We got married, my wife and I got married when we we were 19 and 20. And uh, she was a Catholic. So I started going to the Catholic Church. But when we got saved, we came out of the Catholic Church. And some of our friends and relatives told us, why did you change religion? And I told him, I didn't change religion. I left religion and I found Christ. I found a personal relationship with God in Christ. Very different things. Amen? In the Bible, we find three houses identifiable by their marks. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Distinctive houses that were clearly marked. The first one was the house of those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we find that in the book of Exodus. Please go there with me to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, we find the institution of the Passover feast, the first Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all of the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, And will smite all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of, at the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you." And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever, and it shall come to pass when ye, uh, when, when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you according as he had promised, that ye shall keep this service And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians, and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they." Here we find the institution of the Passover feast. Of all Jewish feasts, this was the first and the most distinctive. One which would set them apart from all other nations and peoples. As a people redeemed by blood. Passover was an annual feast, symbolic or a picture of the future Messiah who would one day come. Come to give them eternal redemption. In John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist saw Jesus come through the Jordan, he said, Lo, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. In Romans 3, 24 and 25, the Bible says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to redeem us from the condemnation of our sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 declares, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Amen. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. All those who put their faith and hope in Christ... And call upon his name, His blood is applied to their life, to his life, to His house, and receives forgiveness of sins and eternal life. First John 1:7 says, "And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sin. That Passover feast, which was to be celebrated and commemorated annually by by each Israeli household, was something that would set them apart, distinguishing them as a people who had been redeemed by blood. Oh, if you could just see what our family used to be. My father was a musician. Musician a Catholic, his mother was a Catholic before him, her mother was a Catholic before her. And he was a musician and a drunkard as a young man, as a young father. And the memories I have as a boy of my father is him getting home at 4 or 5, 6 in the morning and then waking up all angry, demanding, shouting, insulting I remember him hitting my mom whenever she said something he de- disagreed with those are the memories I have my mom when she got saved she had to sneak us out of the house and, while my dad was asleep so she could take us to church without him knowing and we would go in my uncle and my aunt's station wagon to church every Sunday and come back quickly before he would wake up. When we came to the United States, my mom got away from, from church. She started working a couple of jobs. My dad wasn't saved, and he was working a couple of jobs as well, try to make ends meet. But this drinking and, and misery at the home continued through my teenage years. One day my mom decided to go back and visit church after over 10 years of not going to church. And she heard the preaching of God's word and she got right with God. And she began inviting my wife and I. And uh, we didn't want to go. But she was after us so many times that eventually we said, let's just go so she can stop bugging us. My wife and I, we had been married four years. And we were miserable. As you can imagine, we got married at 19 and 20. And we thought we knew. We, we, we knew what we wanted. But we were so immature. And right away, the minute we got married and started living together, we, we started having problems. And so we tried going to marriage counseling. We tried going to the Catholic Church. I remember the Catholic priest even, because we were faithful goers, attenders, he even gave us a ministry to counsel young couples who were going to get married. (laughs) And my wife and I were fighting like cats and dogs at home. (laughs) And many times she would be crying or I'd be upset and leaving the house or we were threatening each other that we were going to leave each other and I guess the only thing that kept us together was our children but we weren't happy. That day when my mom got convinced us to go to church and we went to church and I was listening to God's word tears started streaming down my eyes. And I realized I've known. I've known this. I remember this. But I knew it here. I had never trusted Christ here. And I turned to my wife and I told her, you know, I need to accept Christ. I need to get saved. And she told me, no, we're Catholics. This is not our church. What are you doing? And I told her, you know, you don't have to do it, but this is something I have to do. I've had to do this for a long time. See, as a boy I remember telling my mom I want to get saved. But in that church, and they they didn't teach that little kids could get saved. They they would say to wait till you were a teenager at least. And I, I never got to be a teenager in church. I look back now and I said, How different. My life would have been, I mean, how many different decisions I could have made if I I was in church as a teenager. But I was out in the world doing things that now I'm ashamed to remember and to think about. But thank God for salvation in Christ. I got saved and baptized at Sunday and I just had this joy and this peace my wife wasn't too happy, but she didn't say anything to me. I, we, did, we hardly spoke that week. The following Saturday, a couple of soul winners came by to thank us for visiting the church and inviting us to go again. And I was out doing some work in the patio, and the man came looking for me, and the lady went looking for my wife, and she was very rude to her and threw, you know, told her, I'm not interested, and shut the door on her. But I spoke to the man, and he told me, I'm so happy for your decision. We hope you can come back tomorrow. So the next Sunday, I told him, okay, I'll go. Next Sunday, I got up, and I started changing. And my wife asked me, where, where, where are you going? I told him, I'm going to church. I didn't tell her, you need to go. I said, if you don't want to go, you can stay. But I'm going to church. Well, She got dressed, and she, she got the kids ready, and we went to church. And that Sunday, I, had, I hadn't said anything to her, but I guess the Lord had been working in her heart all week. She'd been thinking and she heard the message and during the invitation she raised her hand and went forward. God saved that Sunday and baptized that evening. And the Lord not only saved our lives, he rescued our marriage because we were on the verge of splitting up. I don't think we would have made it to our five years. But the Lord saved us. Soon after he saved my, one of my sister's Another sister got saved. My little brother, who he had heard the gospel earlier and had made a profession of faith, had gotten away. But then we convinced him to go to a teen camp, and he went. And the Lord got a hold of his heart. He came back, completely surrendered. I mean, he was surrendered. He took all his his clothing, and he took all his emptied all his drawers. And he, he didn't throw it away. He burned it because he said, "I may change my mind and go try to fetch it out of the trash can." So he burned the clothes. He took all his CDs, all his music, and he broke them and burnt them. And he called me that evening after coming like teen camp, and he said, "Do you have a suit that I can wear to church tomorrow?" And I've always been fatter than he is. He's thin. And so I said, yeah, I have a suit, but it's going to be big on you, and you should have seen him that Sunday. He was all, <laughs> But he was so happy to go to church in his suit and tie as a 17-year-old, yeah, a teenager. He dropped out of public school that summer. He was the captain of the football team. He had several offers to go to scholarships for colleges. And he said, I don't want him. He got into Christian school, finished his senior year in Christian school. Uh, the following year he met his wife now there. They served together for many years. They so were sent out. Now he's pastoring a church that's averaging over 1,200 people every Sunday. The Lord's using him greatly. The Spanish ministry there in Hammond, Indiana. My father got saved a couple years after we got saved. He didn't want to go to church. But he saw that all his children and my mom, we were all going to church faithfully, and he was complaining that we would always leave him alone. And so I told him, Dad, you're going to wind up alone in this life because we're on a different road. We're going a different direction. You need to get saved. So he came to church, and it took him several months, but he finally trusted Christ as a savior and got baptized. And then he became a great soul winner, a man of prayer, a faithful man. We buried my dad in January, 2021, because of COVID, 84 years old, one month away from being 85. And when we buried him, I buried we, buried, we had a service at our church, and I placed his New Testament with him, and in the previous three and a half years, 53 souls that he personally led to Christ. And he told me when he died, make sure you give my tithe and my faith promise to missions next week. And I did, after he had passed away. I gave his last offering. I placed his last offering, his tithes, and his missions uh, faith promise, missions giving, in the offering plate. And as I said, in Sunday school, both my sisters are in full-time ministry. My brother's a full-time ministry, a preacher. I'm a pastor. Our kids are serving the Lord. We were just up there for a Bible conference and just seeing my brother and his two sons and his two daughters and his wife singing singing it together. I couldn't help but but just cry. I was just so moved and just thinking where God took Our family from the miry clay, from 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 a sinful life, from a lost life with no hope, and He gave us the privilege and the honor to serve Him in ministry. God still is interested in saving not just an individual, but a whole family, a whole generation, and the way is the same way by the blood of the Lamb. Salvation is by faith, by by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross at Calvary. Is your life, is your home marked by the blood of the Lamb of God? God is interested in your whole family too. This coming Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, who are you going to invite to come? And hear the message of salvation. When that jailer in Philippi said to Paul and Silas, What? How can I be saved? They responded, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. God wants to save our whole household, our home, our families. And you should have a burden in your heart for your lost family members. Just because they go to some church or some religion does not mean they're going to, have, they're going to heaven. Their sins, their sins need to be washed by the Lamb of, the Lamb of God, by Jesus Christ. And only, only by placing their faith in Him, only Him and not a religion, can they be saved. The second house... The second marked house that we find in the Bible is the house of a people who lived according to God's word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. Deuteronomy. Just before introducing the children of God to the, into the promised land, Moses gives the law once again and, and he reminds this new generation of the children of Israel about God's desire for them living in the promised land, in Canaan. And he gives them instructions on how they are to live. Because they, would, they were going to be surrounded by other peoples, by other nations, pa- pagan nations, that had many idols, that worshipped idols, that did terrible things. And you know, we live... In a nation nowadays that used to be. Used to be a Christian nation. No more. It is led and directed by pagans. It hasn't just become a secular nation. It's become a pagan nation. And that's why we're seeing such absurdities. Contrary to common sense. To nature. Being not only. Defended, but promoted by our own government officials. And our homes, our families, our children are surrounded by perverted people. By pagan ideas, beliefs. Just like they were going to be the minute they entered the promised land. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be... When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and dwells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Verse 20. And when thy son asked thee in time to come, saying, What mean these testimonies, and these statues, and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us this land, which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statues, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always and that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he had commanded us. Those houses, those families, those Israeli families, Hebrew families, were to be distinctive because of the very special place the word of God had in their hearts the heart is the seat of our intellect on how we think the heart is the seat of our emotions of how we feel and the heart is the seat of our will how we decide. That's why we. the word of God should hold a very important place in our hearts. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful about all things and desperately wicked. Young person, Christian, be careful about following your heart. Don't swallow that lie that is being spread and promoted by every institution in the world today. Follow your heart. All you have to do is follow your heart. You can't go wrong if you follow your heart. That's a lie. 1 John 3.20 says, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. God wants and and deserves to be the one who owns our heart. Proverbs 23.26 says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine heart observe my ways. You will never be obedient to God's ways if he doesn't have your heart. This, this house that was marked by the word of God had a very special place. That word of God had a very special place in their hearts. Those houses, those families were to be distinctive because they would teach the Word of God diligently to their children. They spoke about the Word of God while sitting at the dinner table. It was the first thing they would repeat to their children in the morning after waking up and the last thing that they would read to them before they went to bed. Even while walking somewhere, they were to repeat it by memory. That's what the Lord had commanded His people to do. That's what would set them apart. Psalm 78, 5 and 7. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that their generations to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You know why? Values and morals are disappearing in our society. Why? There is no fear of the Lord anymore. Because past generations stopped reading and teaching the word of God to their children. Those houses, those families were to be distinctive because they memorized scripture. They were to bind the scripture for a sign upon their hands and as frontless between their eyes. That speaks of memorizing it, always thinking about it. Psalms 119, 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. They were to write the word of God upon the posts of their houses and on their gates. Why? So that, with, so that the word of God was visible inside and out as identification. Every Israeli household was to be marked by the word of God, set apart by the word of God, distinguishable by the word of God. Let me ask you, is your life, is your household Is your family marked by the word of God? Set apart because you live according to Bible principles? Many Christians, someone said this, many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles don't mark them. Let me ask you something, in your social media profile, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or any of those things, are you setting yourself apart as a believer who identifies as a Christian, who quotes the word of God, who gives the message of salvation, who at least put posts about your church service? Or are you just sharing and liking things that unbelievers and pagans and God haters, popular things that are put on there? I think in, in today's society, our social media profiles say a lot about who we are. Finally, and I know I've gone a little long, I'll be, I'll be short with this last point. Deuteronomy chapter 15, please, with me. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12. The one, the, this last house in the Bible that was marked... Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse, I mean, chapter 15, verse 12, yes. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, Thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress, of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today, and it shall be if he say unto thee if your servant says says unto you i will not go away from thee because he loveth thee and thine house because he is well with thee verse 17 then thou shalt take an all an all was a appointed instrument And thrust it through his ear unto the door. And he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. This was a household whose door had a very peculiar mark. Easily identifiable, especially by other Jewish families. It had a very distinctive circle-shaped stain made up of burnt flesh and ashes, signaling, listen to me, signaling that in that house there lived a master who had won the heart and loyalty of his servant and his family. If that servant, in, in a Hebrew family, if they had a servant, a bond servant. They couldn't keep him more than six years. They had to give him their freedom at the seventh year. But if that servant didn't want to leave his master because he loved his master, because his master loved him, and he wanted to remain a servant voluntarily, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Then the instruction was, okay, take that that servant take him over to the door of the house, and you shall take that awl and put his ear up against the door and puncture it on the door. And there will be a mark there made up of flesh so that everybody who passes by could clearly see that in that household there's a servant who loves his master who is serving freely, of free will, not because he has to, and that in that household there is a master who won the love and the heart of that servant and his family. This is another one of those houses that were marked. Three households with very distinctive, peculiar marks on their doors and gates. The first one was marked with blood stains, which signaled redemption. The second house was marked with portions of scripture, of the Word of God, which signaled obedience. And the third household was marked with burnt flesh and ashes, which signaled a servant's surrendered life. Each one of those households gave very, a very clear and distinctive message, message. The first one declared, I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. The second one declared, I am obedient to the word of God, to God's will. And the third one declared, I am content, I am satisfied, I am happy with whom I belong. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Once I was lost in sin's degradation. Jesus came down to bring me salvation. Freed me from sin that long... Lifted me up from sorrow and shame Now I belong to him Joy floods my soul For Jesus has saved me Freed me from sin That long had enslaved me His precious blood He came to redeem Now I belong to him Now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Did you know that your body is a house? The Bible says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When others pass by your house, does your life clearly and distinctively declare, I am a born-again Christian, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When others pass by your life, when they meet you, when they hear you, when they see you, does your life declare, I am obedient to God's word and God's will for my life? Does your life declare, when others see you serving ministering in whatever ministry you, capacity you serve I am content I am satisfied with my Lord Jesus Christ to whom I belong and whom I serve not because I have to not because it's a burden but because I love to serve my Lord because I love him because he won my heart over and there's nothing better to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. What does your life declare to others? Are you a distinctive house? Is your family a distinctive family declaring for the Lord? Easily identifiable? Clearly marked? You know, if the Lord is going to use us to reach this lost and hurting world, we need, to, we need to clearly define who we are and what we believe and not be ashamed to be a people of the Lord. Father, I thank you for today.